We're going to uh, talk today about what it means for, for us to do things that are primary. The title of the message is Primary Deeds. Turn with me over to the book of Micah. We're going to look at chapter 6, verse 8. Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. Lord, help us as we study your word, please. Micah had the privilege of doing his ministry with some pretty pretty significant other prophets, some heavyweights, some guys that actually wrote books in the Bible. So Micah wasn't alone. Isaiah, Amos, and Hosea. Wow, what a group of human beings all at the same time in Israel's history. Micah's prophetic ministry was during the reign of the kings, kings named Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, somewhere in the 8th century B.C. Pretty amazing, was he? You're really good if you can speak the word of the Lord. You're even better if God considers it so neat that he writes it down for all antiquity, for everybody to hear. Wow. And Micah was concerned about the people of God staying on point. And he wanted to boil down all the things that were important to their well-being, the law itself, because that's what the people had. Remember, his words, even though they were being written, were not inscripturated yet. They weren't canonized. And so most people, they basically had the Pentateuch, the Old Testament book of the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's pretty much all they had. Other things were being compiled, but that's the document to which people refer to figure out how to live best. And these laws, the Ten Commandments that were encased, in, in, in as well as the other ceremonial laws and the case law that was predicated on the Ten Commandments, were sometimes a little bit more difficult to understand than most people would like. Now, it's not because God made it hard. It's just because people's sin had made them mm, just a little slow, like me. We don't understand what God said. Listen, you, you read your Bible. And, and I tell you to read your Bible, but sometimes when you read your Bible, you say, what's that mean? <laughs> Listen, this scripture, these Bible, this Bible is written on a sixth grade level. Yeah, that's the grammar. That's the syntax of it, sixth grade level. Yet the information in it is supposed to be that which is contained for not only the people who may not be as smart as, as, as the next, but for the wise and, and discerning. And listen to me, the more you get into it, the better you understand what it's supposed to say to you. And that's why I say read your Bible every day. You need to get in this regularly so you can get the context. And listen, it, 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 when you understand why somebody wrote something or why somebody said something, it means so much more to you than just that they said it. And so the more you get in it, the more you understand the context. People didn't get all of the commandments like they should as to why. And so Micah was doing everything he can for the common man. And remember, most people back then were, were mostly illiterate. They really couldn't read very well, so they were dependent upon somebody else to explain things to them. 
And he says this, what is required of you, O man? What is it that the Lord really wants from you? There are 10 commandments you need to follow. And then there are 612 beyond that that are case law and ceremonial in their orientation. Really, when you boil it down, what is it that God requires? Now, all mankind has been trying to figure this out. And it wasn't unusual to Micah's generation. They asked the same thing of Jesus in his generation. What is the greatest commandment? Matthew 22. And Jesus said this, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, tied to it. You can't, you can't pull it away from the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. You can't do one without doing the other well. You must tandem them in order for your obedience to be complete. So everybody was trying to figure out what to do. And the process of boiling down, distilling all these commandments was going on. It was a process. And Micah was privileged to be in the generation where God said, let me make it more simple for you. Even though it doesn't mean that everything that I said is now irrelevant. All I'm doing here is trying to make you understand how you can do everything I said in three. What is it that I require of you? What am I asking of you, oh man? Let's break it down to the basic essentials, the least common denominator. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Laudable conduct, love loving kindness, and low living. Now, I like to look at these as the, the basics about, uh, of, of how human, humanity can, can respond well. And uh, I'm not unusual in that. That's the whole purpose of the passage. But, but it brings me back to a moment when I was in the second grade. And my teacher was, was taking us to an art class. And the art class started with primary colors. I don't know if you remember what primary colors are. The red, yellow, and blue. Red, yellow, and blue. Primary colors are those colors that make up all the other colors and don't need another color to make them up. They are primary. And the combination of these three colors make up all the other colors we know to be true. A little less of one, a little more of one combination of all three, that makes up all the color code. From the one end of the spectrum to the other. Red, blue, and yellow. And if we get the, if we get the primary colors, there's not much we can't create in terms of art. Not much. Now, you may not like what I paint. <laughs> I'm not a very good artist. And there are a lot of people who are really poor at, art, at being an artist in their life. They don't paint very well. It doesn't look very good. You look at that portrait and say, you need to redo that, bro. That's bad. But if we get the primary colors down, and then we learn the artistry of God by having the Holy Spirit on the inside of us to know what the nuances ought to be when we address this situation and that situation and approach this issue, then we can paint beautifully that, that portrait, which is the masterpiece of your life. Primary colors. And here we've got them. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with our God. The word justice here is, uh, is, is broad. It means good decision-making, it means righteousness, it means judgment. Meaning that when, when you do justice, 
You need to, to get your mind around the idea of making sure that all of your decision-making is right, that you are actually doing right things as a result of good decision-making, and you are helping other people by doing the proper uh, method of judgment with respect to their conduct and yours and how you ought to interact. And may I say, I know that judgment is one of those things that everybody tries to stay away from with respect to other people's conduct. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Are you judging me? I feel judged by you. I get it. Nobody really likes that. But, but hear me. If we make judgments all the time about everything. The thing we should get away from and shy away from and stay away from is judging wrongly. You don't want to judge somebody wrongly. You make judgments about who you're going to befriend. And that's a good thing. You make judgments about what's right and what's wrong in society. That's a good thing. You make judgments about what you want to eat and what you don't. You make judgments about your car. You make judgments about who you're going to marry and who you're not. You make judgments about whether your child has, has appropriately responded to life circumstances or not, and then you give out appropriate discipline. We make judgments all the time, and we're supposed to. The issue is doing it right. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 7. He says, make sure you don't judge hypocritically. Make sure you judge righteously. If you judge hypocritically, it's one of those things where you look at the speck in your brother's eye and don't notice the log in your own, meaning if you are saying that's wrong in somebody else's life, yet you got it wrong doubly in yours, you need to keep your mouth shut. Wrong judgment. So we shouldn't judge hypocritically. Secondly, we shouldn't judge upon the stuff we don't know anything about. Uh, some people say, well, their conduct is so bad, surely they can't be going to heaven. You don't know the background from which they came, the habits that have been formed in their life, their genetic makeup that was passed down from Adam that might be a little bit different than yours and tend them to do stuff that you may not, you may not do, but you do stuff they don't do. All of us have our weaknesses. And though we ought to be able to look at a pear tree and say that's a pear tree because it has pears, meaning we ought to be able to judge people by the fruit in their lives, all I can say with respect to somebody's poor actions is, that's wrong. If you're committing adultery, I can say, that's wrong. You need to stop that. I cannot say, you're going to hell because of it. <clears throat> Can't do that. That's wrong judgment. I don't know what's going down on the inside of them, and I don't know how much they love God. All I can say is, that's wrong. So we don't want to judge wrongly. And in the midst of saying that's wrong, I'm also saying, here's how to get right. I want to help you. Now, if you don't like the way I'm presenting it, I get it. Find somebody you do like. But please don't continue to do this because you're hurting yourself and everybody else. We must make proper judgments. We just shouldn't do it wrongly. We shouldn't do it with a log in our own eye. Always looking to ourselves when we begin to talk about somebody else. My, my son, uh, Grant, was four. And I would make him, along with my wife at times, I'd make him breakfast. Now, my day was Saturday when the kids were growing up. I'd give Mama the morning off. She could sleep. We'd do, we'd do waffles or pancakes, bacon and eggs. I could do that. That's the only meal anybody in my house wanted me to make. No lunch, no dinner, just that breakfast on a Saturday morning. If I made anything else, they were not happy because it was bad. Mama's a better cook than Daddy. But I could do this. I could do this well. 
And we do, our family likes eggs over easy. We like the runny yolk and stuff. And, and then we take our toast and we kind of dip it in it. Mm, it's really good. All my boys love it like that. And that's because I liked it like that. And I gave it to them. But one thing my son Grant did not like was the, the crust on the toast. You had to cut the crust, the, the, the outside, off the bread in order for him to really enjoy it. And, and, and he was the only one that really didn't like crust. And I would just flat forget, so would Mama, but me mostly. And around about age four, he got his eggs over easy, and he got his toast on the side, and he got his bacon, and he looked at the toast, and of course I had left the crust around the edges. And he looked at it, didn't touch it. You could see his brain working. Put his head up and said, Mom, Dad, is there such a thing as crust blindness? <laughs> I sat there and said, I don't know how your brain works, boy, but that's a pretty good question right there. Wow. I imagine God asks us the same thing. Is there such a thing as log blindedness? Something that is on the inside that doesn't allow you to see perfectly on the outside. Whether you ignore something or whether you just don't care. Log blindness, a big old lumber, piece of lumber in your own eye. But you can notice a speck in somebody else's. Judgment rightly is really important. And if you're going to judge rightly, I beg you, do right. Again, getting back to the log and the speck. We need to be people whose opinion matters because we're living the way we should as best we know how. Nobody can do it perfectly. And so whenever we talk about what needs to change in society or what needs to change in somebody else's life, we need to look to ourselves first. But there ought to be some degree, a large degree of integrity out of which we speak. I've gotten victory there. I have some credibility to be able to speak to that about you. Please. Let me help you through this. If I'm not the guy, find somebody else who has an equal amount, if not more, victory in this area that can help you. But don't continue to live in this defeat. This is the way we best help one another. Living right. Not just judging, judging circumstances and other people, but living right. That's what it means to do justly and make great decisions on the basis of it. That we are people that are moving forward and we are doing the moving forward not on the basis of what we prefer, but on the basis of what the kingdom demands. We're making decisions based on the wisdom from heaven, not the wisdom from earth. And people have ideas about what it looks like to do the right thing, and some of those right things are less than right. It doesn't mean they're completely wrong. It means they have an element of right, but they aren't as right as they should be because they are kingdom-focused. Listen to me, I am very happy we are supplying the needs of the community, whether it be PPE stuff, or whether it be food, or whether it be sanitation, toiletries, all those things I'm happy about. And I'm grateful for the gift cards that small groups are giving, all the areas in which we are seeing need and thrusting ourselves in the middle to bridge the gap. I am so happy. But if we don't bring the gospel, if we don't tell them that this is a bridge that allows them the privilege of understanding more of why God put them on the planet, we haven't done as right as we ought to do. All we've done is provide for the, for the natural man, not the spiritual. We've eased 
their affliction on the planet, but not for eternity. Short-sighted. And it doesn't mean that we have to preach every time we hand something to them. It just means we need to direct. Let them know. There's a church over here that cares more about just you eating well. There's a God that cares more about than just the food that's on your table today or the clothes on your back. He cares about your eternity. He died for your, eterni- for your immortality, for you to get on the other side of this. And there's so much more on the other side of this. That's what we're passionate about. We want to make good decisions on your behalf, not just providing for the natural man, but we want to provide for the whole man, the whole man. Good decisions live right. Make great decisions Make great decisions with respect to other people in your life. Make great decisions on your personal priorities. How do you decide what job is best? How do you decide what person to marry? How do you decide whether you ought to have children? How many you ought to have? I don't even think we ever prayed about that, me and Cynthia. We just kept having them. <laughs> How do you decide? Is it just about you and what's, what's comfortable for you, what profits you the best? The Bible has something to say about everything. The Bible has something to say about everything. And it guides you best. So your good decision making is aided by the will of Almighty God. Now, it may not be comfortable to you. Hear me. I realize that all of corporate America is big on building safe environments. Places where people can feel like they're accepted and wanted. I'm for that. And they are threatened on a regular basis. I'm for that. But, But the kingdom... Mm, is not comfortable. Please don't confuse those two words, safe and comfortable. Safe, yes. You're never going to find yourself more safe than in the kingdom of God because you are shielded from all the judgments that should be coming to you as a result of your disobedience. You're shielded and protected from God, even from the circumstances that want to take you out. Though you might have to go through some, he's going to go through them with you and take you to the other side. You are protected. You are never more safe than when you are in the kingdom. But it's not comfortable. You've got to pick up your cross every day and follow. You've got to make some decisions that deny yourself. You have to say, yeah, that job opportunity looks really great. It's going gonna, it's gonna to give me a third more salary. They're going to move my family, give me a great house. But what about the spiritual environment? What am I leaving? What am I giving up in order to get that? Jesus said, be careful for the man who forfeits all the kingdom and and chooses to, to gain the world, hey, he might be for, forfeiting much more than he thinks. Jesus said, be careful you don't forfeit your soul in an effort to try to gain the world. Make good decisions all the way around. And I, please, don't think that I'm saying that if you don't make a decision based on Scripture, that somehow you're going to forfeit your entire soul. No, you can forfeit the well-being of your soul. You can You can forfeit the sense of obedience from God or to God and begin to to just kind of navigate around the the greed and the envy or the lust for things and justify it by saying, I'm providing for my family. God provides for your family. My point is this. There is a matrix through which you need to bring your decision-making that makes you most just, most right. And it requires you to die every day. Say, Lord, I want your will, not mine. Even though this looks good, I don't know what's on the other side. You do. I'm going to do what you want me to do. And if that means go, I'm going. If that means stay, I'm staying. Whatever you tell me, I'm doing it. 
live righteously, justly. Secondly, love, loving kindness, love mercy. It, it is sometimes difficult for people who have such a sense of what is right to carry with them with the same degree of emphasis the reality that some people can't do that and to also be self-reflective look in the mirror and think you know you weren't very good at it at one point either remember when you weren't living right Brett you needed a lot of mercy just to get right just to get just to begin to think that there were there, there might be another way to live you needed a lot of mercy to get there God was so patient with you and and though you deserve judgment he not only didn't give it to you, he took it on himself. He decided to pay your penalty. And he wasn't even mad at you. He was merciful to you. Wow. Even though we need to live right and even though we need to help others live right and expect that all of us live right, we need to live in the environment of mercy. And we don't have to sacrifice the righteous standard in order for mercy to be applied. It was said of Jesus in John chapter 1, I think, verse 2, that grace and truth met. Some versions say they kissed one another. Jesus had the perfect blend of being able to be upstanding and right, perfect, and yet merciful to those who were weak, downtrodden, defeated, depressed, their soul torn up on the inside. He was able to... to to not always talk about the wrongdoing before he brought them in. And everybody whom he healed, he knew they had problems. But he said, get up, open your eyes. Mercy was given on a regular basis. You need to, to, to have as much mercy as you do justice. As much mercy as you do justice. I talked last week about this case with Ahmaud Arbery. Justice in our society, let me tell you what it does. It finishes things, but it doesn't fix anything. Justice finishes. It finishes the process, which we believe is most proper to, to begin to deal with the person who committed the wrong. But it doesn't fix anything. Now, people who do wrong on, in our society deserve justice. I mean, yeah, yeah, they deserve justice. They, somebody needs to say wrong and penalty needs to be suffered. But we Christians ought to go not only to justice, but through justice, to the other side of what reconciliation looks like. Because we represent our God more than we represent humanity. And our God looked at us and realized justice needs to be given to them, but I'm going to figure out how in the world to satisfy the, the, the demands for justice while giving them mercy. And he reconciled us to himself and to one another. This moment of reconciliation through which Jesus had to go was painful. He's the one who paid the price for us to get right with God, though he was the most offended. And we were the ones that needed justice, yet he took it on himself. Justice needs to be met in societal ills. But we as a church are the only ones that can go through justice to the other side and say there's more. There's a reconciliation with Almighty God, though you have done horrible. God wants to forgive you and bring you home. And he wants to make friends out of enemies. That's the healing we can bring to the world. That's what makes us different. Everybody in every generation, every 
group of people at some point has had somebody, some group they didn't like, and they clashed. And justice has always been a demand, but rarely do you ever see anybody go through it to get to the point of healing. At best, they get to the point of coping. God wants to bring healing to the world. And the reason I bring up stuff like this is not to be a social activist. I'm not there. I'm talking about how to emphasize using leverage moments out there in the world to emphasize how important it is for us to be together. Why we are a diverse community. The calling that we have as a people to say it works here, though it may not work out there. And maybe we have something to say about out there because it works here. That's why I bring it up. Mercy needs to be a part of our arsenal. Indeed, a wonderful weapon we use to fix society's hills. I know I mixed up metaphors, but deal with it. Mercy, gosh, I'm so grateful for his mercy. I don't know where I'd be without it. And Jesus said this in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You don't have to sacrifice justice in order to distribute mercy. You bring them both. And the more mercy you give people, the more mercy you receive from God. And sometimes, the more mercy you give people, the more mercy you receive from people. Lead with mercy. James says this, mercy triumphs over judgment. What does that mean? It doesn't mean judgment shouldn't be rendered. It means that you need to go through it to get to the mercy. And lastly, living low. If you, get three, if you get these primary colors well, you can paint the masterpiece that is your life. Living right, making great decisions, properly judging, bringing mercy. You can make great decisions. You can paint well. You can add mercy. Lastly, living low, humbly, walking humbly with our God. The people who don't walk humbly have an elevated view of their own humanity. They really think they're more than they are. And those who are described as being proud happen to be those that, that God opposes. Peter says God opposes the proud in 1 Peter 5, but gives grace to the humble. If you believe that you are actually more than you really are, the resistance you're experiencing just aren't those things which come upon mankind by way of, of adverse circumstances on the regular. It might be that God is particularly resisting you because he wants you to realize who you are not so he can make you who you are. I have a degree of confidence about what I'm called to do. I don't wake up every day questioning my purpose, why I'm doing what I'm doing, whether I can do what I do. I don't. There's a confidence I have. But that confidence is not born from skill. It doesn't come because I've done it over and over and over again. It, become, it, it comes to me because I realize what I'm not. And I know how many mistakes I've made. 
I know how bad I've preached. Now, you may have received great benefit over the last 12 weeks, specifically nine since we've been doing it like this with nobody in the audience. But I've been so frustrated with the way I presented, so frustrated. I can't stand it. When you're not in the building, it's hard. It's hard. And I, I just, I walk away from these moments thinking, boy, I'm going to fire myself after I finish this message. While I'm in the middle of the message, I think, this isn't good. This is really bad. But you have to act like it's good because there's no way you can just step off stage and start over again. So you've got to just fake it till you make it. And I've been faking it to some degree, though my anointing and grace, I realize it seems a little bit different. And when I say to myself that you preach really bad, other people say that was a great message. Listen, it, it, I'm grateful for the compliments. I'm grateful for the help. But I live with me. I know what it can be. I know what it should be. And everybody out there knows you can perform well enough where other people will pat you on the back. But you know that it wasn't up to par. And that's how I've lived for the last nine weeks. I'm overcoming today, though. This one's pretty good. This one's pretty good. Yeah, this one's pretty good. I think I've rounded the corner. But I want you to know that all of that does not come because I've been ministering for 38 years. Or I've been the senior pastor of this house for the last 27, 28, I don't know what it is, a long time, 29. It doesn't come, my confidence doesn't come from any of that. It comes from knowing that only by the power of Almighty God can I do anything good. And so every day, I live low. I live low, saying, Lord, I was there, I was sitting right there, worshiping like you all were in the front row. I said, Jesus, help me to talk well today, because I know what I'm not. I know, I know I'm a little kid from Kansas. And I shouldn't be where I am. And I need you. And I'm not praying out of insecurity. Doesn't have anything to do with that. I just know what I'm not. And as a result of knowing what I'm not, I'm not I realize what he has and can make me. And the only reason I've come to where I am is because of what he's made me. And the only reason I'm going to be better tomorrow than I am today is because of his forming. Literally, I have yielded. Low living means... You quit trying to figure it out on your own. You give up. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not skilled enough to become what God wants me to be. And so I yield all of my talents, all of my experience, my soul, my feelings, my emotions, my dreams, my past, all of that. I yield to you, Heavenly Father. And I pray that you would fix anything that's wrong or deficient. And help me become what I ought to be. Not just for you. I want to be what I need to be for you. I love you and I want to be in your image. But it's possible to be in your image and not be what I need to be for them. There are a lot of people who are being formed in God's image. Every day, Christians loving them. But they aren't very good shepherds. They may not be called to the ministry. They may not know how to treat people well as they should. My primary reason to still be on the planet is to make sure that you are provided for well and our community is transformed. That's why I am still here. And so I live low. I live low. But because I've concentrated on making sure that these three primary colors 
are so indelibly imprinted on my life. I'm, I'm a foundations preacher. I don't talk about the seven-headed beast in the book of Revelation very much. I think I know what it means, but I think that was probably written for the people in that time who understood what was going on. I have a very early dating for the book of Revelation that allows for Nero to be the guy who happens to be the Antichrist. And so, and believe me, my, my exegesis and my hermeneutical perspective, my historical perspective on the writings that have been inserted that we now call scripture are based not just on my feeling but what I've read. And so I'm just as legitimate in my persuasion as somebody else's in theirs. I'm not calling them wrong. I'm not saying I'm all right. That's just an opinion that I need to have. You got to have an opinion. You just don't need to own it. If it becomes so much a part of your personality that you feel rejected when somebody else rejects you, rejects you, or rejects the opinion, something's wrong with the way you're holding the opinion. And so I don't own it. I just say, this is what I think. It makes most sense to me. And so, yeah. I, I don't talk about all that because, well, not here. Because <laughs> if you just lived this, you'd be okay. If you just did justice, if you just make sure you had mercy and you walked humbly, you'd be good. I don't know how much knowing which of the seven heads represents what nation in the book of Revelation. Go help you much. I just don't know. And so I preach on foundations and you don't even know it. I come at it from all kinds of different angles. I dress it up real nice. But it's all about obeying God and loving people. That's all it is every week. And so I beg you, take this message. Take these primary colors. Get them down. Get them down. And begin to paint the masterpiece that is to be your life. Do justice. Love mercy. And walk low, humbly with your God. And watch what God will do with your canvas. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. I thank you for your goodness and your grace that you've given to us. Please inspire us to be the people who can represent you well in the community by so living these three principles that we become the envy of nations. Is there anybody this morning who has yet to give their heart to Christ? Maybe you've made a decision in the past, but your life doesn't look anything like what a believer's ought to be, and you realize today is the day where you need to come on back home. If you fit in either of those two categories, and you want to get right with God, just kind of raise your hand by going in the chat area and clicking at the bottom of the chat, the little box next to the place that says, raise your hand, and then pray with me. Say, Father in heaven, forgive me. I am sorry for the way I've lived today. I choose to turn away from everything I know to be sin and to follow you with all of my heart. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving me the privilege of calling Jesus the Lord of my life.
Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, check that box. And then when you check it, there'll be another box that appears. It says, follow up with me, connect with me. Please go ahead and fill that out. You can also text um, GCC, excuse me, New Life to 25827. New Life to 25827. And somebody will help you. And the only reason we put those down there, whether it's a chat box or give you the information about where to text, is because we think you need help. That's all. All of us need a little help. You don't know how to read your Bible very well. We give you Bible studies to help with that. Books through which you can go and then fill out the answers according to the scriptures and learn about who God is. There's a person that can talk to you and help explain to you what the Bible has to say. All we want to do is help you. That's all. That's all. And we're glad about the decision you've made. Really great. Lastly, if you need prayer today, up at the very top of the chat box, it says connect. Go ahead and click that and the pastor will be in contact with you regarding prayer for the things that are most important in your life. Gosh, it's great to be with you in whatever form I can be.